Riv, how's it going? So my name is Noel. I'm one of the pastors here. And last week, I left you guys with a little bit of a cliffhanger. Uh, we ended halfway through one verse where we read this one in Colossians 2 verse uh, 13 or 16, where it says, therefore, don't let anyone judge you. And I suspect some of you are back because that's the verse we're covering today. Because this is like the most American verse. You know, it used to be that we all knew John 3.16, you know, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son, whoever, blah, blah, blah. I don't even know it, apparently. Um, <laughs> but that was the most famous verse in the world is John 3.16, but now it's this one, or when Jesus says, judge not lest ye be judged. We love this concept. Now, the thing about this concept is, though, it is a lot more nuanced than it looks at, at first glance when you look at it in full biblical context. So let me translate for you why we love this verse so much. Let me give it to you in American. You can't judge me. Isn't that sort of how we feel as Americans? And what happens is we apply that concept of you can't judge me with absolutely reckless abandon. And I was going to try to give you some ridiculous examples of how we do that and where we do that. And then I realized you probably already have some in your head right now, don't you? And so what we're going to do is we're just going to dive right in by looking at some verses that gave us context for last week that will give us context for this week. So let's jump back in the passage a little bit in Colossians 2, verses 4 and 8, where it says this. Um, he says, for I'm saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world, rather than on Christ. Now, if you were here last week, you know, I said that we were going to kind of do a little bit of a two-week mini-series inside of our huge series on Colossians. And last week, what we looked at is these arguments that people lob into the church at Christians. It's kind of like the fine print that people in the world have expectations on Christians. They say, if you're going to be a Christian, this is how you got to operate. Well, today what we're going to see is, is little arguments, little fine print uh, that is lobbed into the church from inside of the church. It's lobbed from the church to the church. And just like the stuff we looked at last week, these arguments sound reasonable, but they are not anchored in Christ. And the tricky thing is, because they're being lobbed from inside the church to inside the church, a lot of these arguments sound like they're anchored in Christ, but they're not because they all follow a common formula, and it's this, Jesus plus something. The basic argument of these expectations that are thrown into the church from inside the church is that Jesus is a really good start for your faith, maybe even a, a necessary start for your faith, but now you need something else. Jesus was good enough to get your faith rolling, but now it's time for you to begin to step up your game. And the language that we hear often sounds something like this. You know, if you want to be a faithful Christian, this is what you need to do. If you want to have a deeper walk with Christ, this is what you need to do. And usually the code is, 
Jesus was enough to get this thing going, and now it's time for you to do some stuff to be faithful, to be deeper in your walk. So let's go look at this whole passage because it gives us a pretty good picture. This is what it says, uh, verse 16. Uh, It says, therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Now, what Paul is getting at here is that there, there were some Christians inside of the Colossians church that were telling people, you need to add some stuff to Jesus, to be faithful in following him, to have a deeper walk with him. It, it's, it's Jesus plus don't drink that. It's Jesus plus don't eat that. It's Jesus plus celebrate this holiday or don't celebrate this holiday or it's Jesus plus keeping a Sabbath day. Let me just give you some 21st century versions of all of these. (laughs) To be a faithful Christian or to have a deeper walk with him, it's Jesus plus not drinking alcohol. It's Jesus plus not eating unhealthy fast food. It's Jesus plus only eating veggies. It's Jesus plus celebrating Christmas and Easter because those are all about Jesus. Keep Christ in Christmas. Or it's it's being a Christian, but don't celebrate Christmas and Easter because they have pagan roots. Or it's it's, it's be a faithful follower of Jesus. You need to uh, celebrate Lent during the Easter season. Or it's to follow Jesus, you need to take a weekly Sabbath. Now that last one may have tripped you up for a second because Christians talk about taking a Sabbath all the time. Isn't Sabbath like a good thing? Isn't it commanded that we're to keep the Sabbath? Isn't it part of the Ten Commandments? It seems like a very, very, very Christian thing to do. And for those of you who are not Christians, you're like, I don't even know what a Sabbath is. Well, a Sabbath is basically in the Old Testament, the Jews were told, take a Sabbath, keep the Sabbath. And and it's literally one of the Ten Commandments. Keep the Sabbath day, which means stop working for one day. What happens is Paul found this perennial problem in the first century that he was constantly having to hammer out with these Christians in this new church. And it's this, Jesus has set you free from the law because the law is bondage. And what is the law? Well, the law is, I was actually just talking to somebody in the lobby about this this morning. He's been reading through the Bible in the year and, and ran through a lot of the crazy law. The law is 613 rules and regulations given to the Israelites in the Old Testament that they needed to follow in in order to show themselves as separate from everyone else. It was the way that they were to worship God in the Old Testament. And these 613 laws are summed up in one phrase, the law. And here's how the New Testament talks about the law. Jesus has completed and fulfilled the law. But then what happens is we as Christians, we start to panic because we're happy that we're no longer under the law when it comes to things like I can eat shellfish and I can eat bacon. And sometimes I can take shellfish and I can wrap it in bacon and I can eat that. And we're like, I love that I'm not under the law. And then we're like, I love the fact that I can wear clothes that have mixed fabrics that are put together. I can do a good cotton poly blend, right? And we're really happy with that because it doesn't wrinkle quite as much. And we're really happy about that. But then we start to look at some of the law. We're like, oh, I think I'm supposed to follow that part of the law. But the 613 commands... The laws, the rules, the regulations of the Old Testament are one single unit, and Christians are not under the law, period. 
So what happens is for hundreds of years, people are like, but I, want, but I think I have to do some of it. And so what happened is they break it up in little pieces. And they're like, oh, well, this part of the law is civil. It had to do with the government and how they were to operate uh, together. And then this part is ceremonial. It's about how they worship God. And of course, those two have passed away. Jesus fulfilled those. But the moral part of the law, we have to keep that. Now, certainly, we have to keep that, right? We have to continue to do all of those things. But Paul was constantly dealing with people saying, do not add the law back to your Christian faith. And one of the 613 rules and regulations was, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And people freak out and think, like, shouldn't I do that? Doesn't that mean I'm supposed to either go to church one day a week or set aside one day for worship or something like that? Because people, when they hear a teaching like what I just gave that little bit there, they're like, well, wait a minute, does this mean I can do whatever I want? <laughs> it doesn't mean that, because there's a lot of imperatives, even in the New Testament, there's probably more than 613 by some counts. In fact, they encompass a lot of that moral law. In fact, things like, like do not murder, Jesus said, yeah, and if you look at someone with hate in your eyes, it's as if you committed murder. Do not commit adultery, it's like, if you look at someone with lust in your eyes, you've, Jesus ramps up all, in fact, all of the Ten Commandments are re-mentioned in the New Testament in a different form that is not under the law, except one, the Sabbath. That one never shows up. So what does that mean for us? Well, there's great principles we can learn from all of Scripture, including law, including the Sabbath, like rest well. Work hard, rest well. It's all a good thing. But there is, for a follower of Christ, no single day that is different than any other day. We worship Jesus every day. There's no one day, whether it's a day of the week or a holiday, that's any better than any for Christians, period. And the beautiful thing about that is, that means you can celebrate whatever holiday you want without fear of judgment. You can set aside a day to not work, which is actually the Old Testament Sabbath was, it means to cease, to stop. It just means knock it off for a day, right? You can knock it off for a day. You could do the new modern version, which is, oh, I'm supposed to worship God on that day, which is new. It's, that, it's not actually part of the, the Sabbath, the Old Testament. You're free to do that. You are free to celebrate Christmas. You are free to celebrate Easter. You're free not to. Today is June 11th. June 11th is National Corn of the Cob Day. You are welcome to celebrate. Or not. You like, you like it that much? You love corn, okay. Corn, corn. <laughs> I really should have played that meme, shouldn't I? Um, it's also, for those of you who are Boomers, it's National German Chocolate Day. And so you're like, oh, and then the Boomer's like, yes, I love that. That's my favorite. Um, it's also, wait for it, National Say Hi Day. Yeah, see, we're all celebrating today, aren't we? And is anyone here named Olivia? Olivia, stand up, Olivia. Everybody, it's National Olivia Day. <laughs> now, here's the thing. You are welcome to celebrate any or all of those or none of those. <laughs> yes, yes, uh, Olivia's taking everyone out for ice cream afterwards. So thank you, uh, uh, Olivia. Now here's the thing. You are welcome to celebrate any or all of those you want. What you are not welcome to do, according to this passage, is you are not allowed to condemn someone else for not doing that. And we're not allowed to let somebody else condemn us for not doing that. This says do not 
judge someone else. So when we eat or drink or celebrate differently than someone else does, and it's outside of where the scripture has imperatives for us, we are free to do that, and we're free to ignore those who command us to do it. Now look at verse 16. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regards to food and drink or in the matter of a festival or new moon or Sabbath day. Why is this so important? Because when we judge one another based on these, these debatable issues, these things that we want to add to our faith that are not part of the commands for us, we end up making those things, food and drink and holidays and Sabbath, more important than Jesus who is the Lord of the Sabbath. That's what Paul says next. Look at this, verse 17. He says, these are a shadow of what was to come, and the substance is Christ. I, I just absolutely love this imagery of shadows and substance. Right now, I'm standing on a stage with about a bazillion lights on me. Anyone who comes up on the stage for the first time, they're like, really, can you actually see anything? No, uh, that's, there's a million lights. And one of the lights is, I don't know if it's actually what it's called, I don't know, if, I call it a kick light. It's this one down here. There's two down here on the floor pointing right up my, at my face. Let's just turn off all the lights except for this one for a second, just so you can kind of see it. This light. I know. This is what I have to deal with. And, and the thing is, um, this light is, is shining, obviously, up on me. But if I do this, right, you see that shadow? So I have a question for you. When I do this, when I am right here, is my hand on my face? No, it's not. My hand is down there. See? My hand is not on my face. And that was the problem. Some of you said yes with confidence. Yes. And that is the problem because this is not my hand. This is a shadow of my hand. What a shadow does is it gives us a little bit of a, 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 an idea of what the thing is that is casting the shadow, but it's not the thing. It's why in cartoons, they always have that little thing where there's a the little cricket, right? Walking along in front of the shadow and it's like a big monster. And then you find out it's a cricket, right? It's just a shadow. It's not the thing. All right, let's turn the lights back up because I really cannot see. Um, this is what the food and drink regulations in the Old Testament were. It's what the, new, the festivals, the holidays, the Sabbath, what all of these things were. And one of the reasons that the Israelites were told, for instance, don't eat or drink certain things, was to show a separation between them and all the other people, that they were different, that they were a chosen people that were worshiping a God that had called them to be separate. It was a shadow. Why was it a shadow? Because it was showing us of something. What is that something? That Jesus would one day come, and we're told in Acts 10 and Ephesians 2 and all over the place that Jesus takes those separate people and he brings them together because of the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And what that means is we have no need for those dietary laws and rules and restrictions because we have Jesus. We no longer have the shadow, we have the substance. Now there's another human tradition that sounds reasonable, but it distorts as well. And we see he puts it in the next verse. It's in verse 18. He says, let no one condemn you. Just like he said, don't let anyone judge you. Now he says, don't let anyone condemn you by delighting in ascetic practices and the worship of angels, claiming access to a visionary realm. Such people are inflated by empty notions of an unspiritual mind. And by the way, that is in Greek, the definition of a sick burn. There were people, thank you, there were people who thought that they were super smart and super spiritual. And he says, if you behave this way, you have an inflated notion of an empty notion of an unspiritual mind. 
And then he gives a couple examples. He says ascetic practices. Well, what are ascetic practices? Well, it's basically when you go without something. When you go without food. Or you go without drink. Or you sell your house and you move into a cardboard box with homeless people. And a lot of people do all of those things for Jesus. And when you do that, and you delight in that, that can be a wonderful thing. But, and this is a huge but, when you delight in those things and you then begin to condemn other people for not practicing them, you have an inflated mind, an empty mind. You have become arrogant and judgy because you're prideful. Why? Because what you're communicating is Jesus plus something. Because you're adding something to Jesus. Now, Paul uses another example. He says the worship of angels. And I've never met anyone who worship angels. <laughs> but he says those who, who, have, who, who claim to have access to a visionary realm. And that I've seen. I've had people come to me and say, I've had a vision for your life, Noel. God told me something to tell you. And the problem is, whenever someone says something like that, they're saying, my experience is now the trump card, and you must now listen to and obey what I'm about to say. And you can't take someone's experience away from them. You can't take that away from them. But if someone comes to you and says, this is what God told me to tell you, and it's not just like a wonderful Bible verse or something like that, you are free to ignore that, to smile thank them, and walk away. I had somebody FedEx me hundreds of pages of what he called prophecies against me and Riverview. I uh, didn't read it all, um, but he said he had specific visions about why we were a false church and I was a false prophet. And something like that can feel like a trap. You read the first few words and it's like, God told me to tell you this. But you are free to take that FedEx package and gently place it into the recycling bin. Because what Paul does is he gives us the, un, the key to unlock the trap. When someone comes to you with pride, with arrogance, and says to you, God told me to tell you this and you have to do this. I have access to this visionary realm that you don't. You are free to happily, joyfully ignore that person. And if they arrogantly condemn you, you have no responsibility to act on that. Now, if someone shares scripture with you and says, listen, here's something going on in your life. I see this happening. This is what scripture says about this. This is a whole different thing because we have the completed word of God. Now, and a lot of times people in these spaces, they're coming from a good place. They have a delight and excitement about their faith. And, and sometimes with some of the stuff, they're like, I wish you were experiencing the things that I was experiencing. I wish you had the supernatural spiritual relationship that I believe that I have with God. I wish you had the thing that I have. And, and you, could, you know who could actually say that? The apostle Paul. In 1 Corinthians 12, he has this crazy experience. He's like, well, I, there's this guy and it's kind of like when you go to someone and said, I'm asking for a friend. Everyone knows and believes that Paul's the guy. He's like, I know this guy who got caught up into the heavens and, and had this crazy experience, and I wish I could tell you about it, but nah. This is a guy who had a crazy supernatural vision and experience, and he's like, you know what? I, I'm not going to boast about that. Why? Because those that do, verse 19... They don't hold on to the head from whom the whole body nourished and held together by the ligaments and tendons grows with growth from God. Now, now listen, we are called the body of Christ. None of us is the head. 
Jesus is the head. We hold on to Jesus. We focus on Jesus. We look to Jesus. The rest of us are held together by him. So what he's saying is, no matter what you do, hold on to Jesus. Don't hold on to food. Don't hold on to avoiding food. Don't hold on to drink or avoiding drink. Don't hold on to holidays or or not celebrating holidays. Don't hold on to Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath or not keeping to the Sabbath. Hold on to Jesus. He says, this is why. Because if you died with Christ to the elements of this world, why do you still live as if you belong to the world? Why do you submit to this world's regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to what is destined to perish by being used up. They're human commands and doctrines. Although these have a reputation for wisdom by promoting self-made religion, false humility, and severe treatment of the body, they are not of any value in curbing self-indulgence. And this is the key. Most Christians that I've met, wonderful Christians, who add rules and regulations to their lives, who lob different little bits of fine print into the Christian faith, they do it because they want to curb self-indulgence. They're like, I'm struggling, I want to follow Jesus. You know what happens is the the instant you place your faith in Jesus, you are complete in him in the heavenlies. You are already seated at the right hand of God the Father in Jesus. You're already there, but down here you're like still struggling. uh, Struggling with temptation, struggling with sin, all the clear commands of scripture that are not the debatable issues. You're still struggling and everything inside of your flesh is just longing to be caught up in the positional righteousness you already have have a Jesus, and so it drives you crazy, and you just want to handle that self-indulgence, and so what you do is you add a bunch of rules to your faith, and sometimes it works for you, and when it works for you really well, you're like, every morning I get up and I, I read the Bible for two hours, and then I pray for 37 minutes, and two hours and 37 minutes is like somehow magical. It's 147 minutes of true time with the Lord, and so what you do is and you go to someone else, and you're like, you have to do this, and it becomes Jesus plus something. What happens is that's a self-made religion. And if you're not careful, it can grow to you saying to someone else, I know better than you how to be faithful or spiritual or deeper in my walk because I've added this thing to my faith. Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. It sounds wise, but it's self-made religion with no value. And Paul didn't just write this to the Colossians. It was a big theme in the book of Romans, the book of 1 Corinthians, and I just want to read a chunk of Romans because he's so clear in Romans about this. Let me just read a bunch of this. It's in Romans 14. He says, welcome anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. So hold on to that for a second, that little phrase. Don't argue about disputed matters. You got that pinned? Got it? All right. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat. So he's dealing with that food issue. And one who does not eat must not judge one who does because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord, he stands or falls and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand, which is great. He's saying, he's not, do- he's not gonna be able to stand because he's dealing with the food or not doing the food. He's standing because Jesus wants him to stand. Jesus is gonna make him stand. So that's it, right? One person judges one day to be more important than another day. Now we're dealing with holidays. Now we're dealing with Sabbath days. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. I, 
If you don't get anything else, get this. Within five verses, Paul has said two things. He has said, let every one of you on debatable issues in every issue, so the, the core issues, the debatable issues, everything, be fully convinced in your mind. Really wrestle with the text. Wrestle with the Holy Spirit. Figure it out in community. Be fully settled in your own mind. Not on the big things, but on the little things. And then on all the debatable issues, don't you dare argue about them. See, once we're settled in our own mind, that's when we want to argue. He says, settle it in your mind and don't argue. He says, so that you may glory... Uh, oh, I don't even know where I am. Uh, whoever observes the day observes it and honor the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for himself, and no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or we die, we belong to the Lord. This is so helpful, but it is so hard to live by because it's backward of how we think. Let's use one of Paul's examples that I've already hit that he, he hints on here and he talks about Colossians, let's talk about the Sabbath. There are Christians, some of you, that judge one day to be more important than other days. You really firmly believe that, that you should set aside one day every week to either follow the Old Testament Sabbath idea of stopping or the new modern version of setting aside for a day of worship and you really believe that that is important. There are others this is my position, who believe that Jesus is our Sabbath and any observation of the Sabbath is just a shadow of that reality. So I judge every day to be the same, say we worship every day and while there's great healthy rhythms of work and rest, they have nothing to do with any kind of command to keep any Sabbath. There's no command at all in the Bible that Christians keep the Sabbath. So the question is, how do we in a church family get along with one another when we disagree on something like this that's debatable? Well, Paul describes three types of people. In this passage I just read in Romans 14. Weak, strong, and arrogant. You're gonna be one of those. In fact, I would put an er on it because we're usually er. Most of us are weaker in some stuff. We're stronger in some stuff. We're arroganter in other things. And every one of us is weaker, stronger, and arroganter in different things, right? What does that mean? Well, a weaker Christian uh, in his passage here is someone who's either not convinced of their position yet, they just don't know what they believe about something yet, they're still wrestling with it. It's okay to be weak. We, in our culture, we, we don't like weakness, but weakness is okay. Sometimes you're, you're just weak, you just don't flex that muscle enough, it's okay, it's okay. So being weaker means you have, you're not fully convinced, or you believe that something is wrong that the Bible doesn't explicitly say is wrong for a Christian. That's someone who's weaker. And, and, and it's okay. We're all there some of the times. Paul, using the example of food, uh, going back to Romans 14, uh, verse 14, he says this. He says, uh, I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. I can eat whatever, I can drink whatever. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one, it is unclean. So is Paul now saying that truth is relative? that your truth and my truth can be a different thing? No, he's not. He's modeling how a stronger Christian relates to a weaker Christian in an area and how a weaker Christian should relate to that thing that they're wrestling with, right? So what he's saying here is he is convinced by what? The Lord Jesus. Not his own authority, not his own opinion, not the influence of his culture or his best friend or 
anything else. He's convinced in the Lord Jesus Christ that all foods are the same right now. He's like, I can eat, you know, shrimp wrapped bacon and I can dip it in, uh, in an IPA, right? He's like, I can, I can do all of these, these things. They're, they're all the same. They're all clean right now um, because of Jesus. But don't miss this. If someone believes it is wrong, it is wrong. Why? Because it's intrinsically wrong? No. Be it keeping alcohol, keeping the Sabbath, celebrating Christmas, eating meat. When a Christian, for whatever reason, sees something is not inherently wrong is wrong, you don't want to train your conscience that you're going to disobey it. Because as the Holy Spirit transforms your conscience, you need to learn to obey your conscience, and it's dangerous to violate your conscience. So if you're a stronger Christian and you're faced with a weaker Christian, again, stronger, weaker on some issue, what do you do? Paul gives it to us, 15 to 20. He says, for if your brother or sister is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy by what you eat someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and receives human approval. So then let us pursue what promotes peace, what builds one another up. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. What Paul has just done is he's shown us what the larger issue is in the body, held together by all the ligaments and tendons, right? Following after Jesus, who is the head. He's shown us what the bigger issue is. The bigger issue is for us, walking together in love, promoting peace amongst one another, building up one another. And so when he says make someone fall, that what he means by that is not that somebody is bothered by or annoyed by or has a different conviction than you do. That, that's new school thinking that's dumb. Stumbling, making someone fall, is about someone sinning against their conscience. And so what we should be concerned about is loving our brother and sister in Christ more than fighting for our own convictions when we could cause this other person to sin against their conscience, and it takes finesse. You gotta figure out, how do, I, how do I in this moment determine if this is a place for me to model the liberty and freedom I have in Christ? Or is this the place where, it is, where it's better for me to sustain, abstain? Or is it better for me to forego all liberty? And so some people are like, well, it's just easy. Just forego all freedom you have in Christ and give it all up. Would that be easier? Yes. Would it be better? No. Look what Paul just did. He was clear. Scripture's clear on this, guys. <laughs> like, I'm convinced by Scripture. I'm convinced by the Lord Jesus. And I know some of you are not there <laughs> because when we place guidelines in our life that go further than what God does and we apply that standard to other people, we violate what Paul wrote in Colossians. Let's go back to Colossians, verse 16 and 17. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink, or in the matter of festival or new moon or Sabbath day, these are a shadow of what was to come. The substance is Christ. What's the most important thing? Jesus. Expressed in the love that we have for one another, the encouragement that we have for one another. It's, it's like Paul said in the Romans passage, whoever observes the day, observes it for the Lord. It's all about focusing on Jesus. And this is of critical importance because what matters is Jesus. He's the only thing that's not the shadow. 
He's the substance. And so when we become so worried and wrapped around the axle about extra stuff we want to add to the faith, or we declare that what we're doing is we de- we're declaring that Jesus' sinless life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection was not enough. When we say, here's more stuff for you to do, we declare that Jesus, his work is insufficient. But all the stuff that we wrap onto our faith, it's just shadow. The substance is Jesus, who physically, bodily, was crucified on a cross, who physically, bodily, was buried, who physically, bodily, rose from the dead, who physically, bodily, ascended to heaven. That's the substance of our faith. That's the only thing that saves us. It's the only thing that keeps us saved. It's the only thing that will one day save us. It's Jesus. And so on the other debatable issues, we can be fully convinced in our own mind and we cannot argue about debatable issues. So that when it comes to the most important thing, Jesus, we can make the main thing the main thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just pray that we would be a community like this, that on the the core essential issues that the truths of the gospel, the truths of what sin is and what righteousness is, that we would stand firm, that we would be bold, and that we would not be people who get wrapped around debating the debatable issues, lobbing expectations on one another that goes beyond where Scripture goes. Because then, when we really want to talk about the important things, It's just white noise because all we do is fight. So help us to be people who stand firm in Jesus, that we look to Jesus, that we trust in Jesus alone to save us because for us it's Jesus plus nothing. That's the gospel. We pray that in his precious name. Amen.